why don't we say hello to one another just for a second while we set ourselves up for the next part of the service. Uh, so get up, stretch your legs, say hello, maybe somebody you don't know, give them a quick big hug. Let's go for a hug. Okay. If you have your, uh, your Bibles or your apps, if you can just grab them and go to Galatians chapter 4. We are months now into this series uh, of Galatians, and I'm going to jump straight in. I've got a lot to cover, but I'm going to do it quickly. And uh, this is a meaty passage, and I'm praying that the Lord will give me good grace to be able to apply it as well as not just lecture it to you. Uh, I want you to walk out here this morning feeling more equipped to do life tomorrow morning, because uh, we believe that's what Jesus is about. Uh, so while you're turning there, it's, we live in an interesting season, don't we? This whole coronavirus uh, is very polarizing. Some people just don't care, get a life. You know, you're more likely to get hit by a car and killed than you are a coronavirus. And then you switch the TV on and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to leave my house. You know, I'll send my wife out. You go get food. I'm going to stay in here. Um, you know, it, and it's really polarizing. And on the internet this week, I, I saw this. In the year 2000, Y2K is going to destroy everything. How many of you remember that? Oh, yes. Did it happen? Well, if it did, I missed it. 2001, anthrax is going to kill us all. 2002, West Nile virus is going to kill us all. 2003, SARS is going to kill us all. 2005, sorry, bird flu is going to kill us all. 2006, E. coli is going to kill us all. 2008, financial collapse is going to kill us all. Swine flu is going to kill us all, 2009. 2012, the Mayan calendar predicts that we're all going to die. Um, 2013, North Korea is going to kill us all. 2014, Ebola virus is going to kill us all. 2015, ISIS is going to kill us all. 2016, Zika virus is going to kill us all. And 2020, coronavirus is going to kill us all. And the final statement is, the truth is, fear is killing you. Turn off the TV, pray, trust God, and wash your hands. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love the statement, you know, there are times in life you have to trust, the God, trust God and lock your car. You do both. So let's be sensible. But that's also but the reality is, is that we are surrounded all the time with incredible stories that incite fear. As a parent, I do not want my kids to grow up in a house where they're scared of everything. They're scared of what might happen, what might not happen, what is happening, what could happen. You know, that's not the way we were created to be as people, not just as Christians. So today, we are going to bring really jump into this. We're going to jump into how do we live life in a way that in a world that it seems to be dominated by fear and incredibly reactionary to fear, how do we actually trust in God and lock your car? And you can argue about what that lock your car looks like. Are you going to fist bump, elbow, feet, hug, big kiss? I don't know, whatever. Just that's up for you. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the fear part this morning. So let's jump in. Number one. 
First uh, verse, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. This sums up, this verse sums up everything really that Paul has been talking about in Galatians. So if you've not been with us for the last, I don't know how many months, this one minute summary, summary, here we go. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Under the law, listen to the law. There is nothing wrong with God's law. God's law is a good thing. The reality is, though, is that we position ourselves under the law. Lots of different laws. What we're saying is, is that there are different things that will save us, different things that will give us hope, different things that help us and enable us to live life effectively. And Paul is drawing a line in Galatians. He's saying, look, you can try and follow all the rules and be a better person and do things right, and you will still be outside of the blessing and favor of God. Or you can listen to what the law is saying. And the law all the way through the Old Testament, the whole of the Old Testament, is pointing to Jesus. And so he's been underlying the necessity of Jesus and nothing else. So it's not Jesus plus uh, my money, Jesus plus my TFSA, Jesus plus my health, Jesus plus my whatever. It's not that. That's living under the law. He's saying we need to listen to the law, and the law says live by Jesus. And so immediately he's setting up two ways to live. You can live under the law, or you can listen to the law and live free. And I don't know about you, but I want to live free. I don't want to live slave to anything. I want to live free. And then he moves on in verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So he's jumping into now uh, an analogy, if you like. He's going to start saying, look, in the light of being free or being a slave, law or freedom under Jesus, he's now telling us a story from the Old Testament. You know the story, many of you, Abraham, uh, that God came to Abram at the time, time and said, there's going to be blessing in your life. And it's going to happen through your wife, Sarah, having a child. And we know, jumping ahead, that that ended being Isaac. But at the time, Abraham's response was, I'm old. And my wife is really old. It actually says that. In fact, if you look at the original language, it says, basically, my wife is pretty much dead. Is what he says. Which I just think is brilliant. How much trouble would he have been later on? Guys, do not say that ever about your wife. But you see what Sarah did, and you know the story, she laughed. She thought this promise was ridiculous, crazy. And so what she did, she took matters into her own hands. She took control, remember that word, she took control of what she thought needed to happen in order to get the blessing. And so she offered Hagar to Abraham for him to sleep with Hagar, who was a servant, and she ended up giving birth to Ishmael, and now you've got Ishmael and Isaac, and, you, and, and this whole This whole situation blows up because Sarah's trying to take control of what she sees is the blessing. She takes control. She's laughing at the promises of God, takes matters into her own hands. So verse 23, Paul carries on. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So there's two key words in that passage. The first word I want you to notice is this word flesh. In the New Testament, whenever you read the word flesh, you can, uh, it's kind of synonymous with who you and I are. The, the flesh part of us, our fleshly thinking, the way that we think. And then you've got the opposite, if you like, of promise. It's the spirituality, the, the way that we were created to be as Christians and as humans is to come under the authority of God and Jesus. And that brings freedom. That's the promise. 
But Paul is saying, look, he was born, Ishmael was born according to the flesh, rather than being born of the promise. So Paul is starting an argument here. He's saying there's slavery and there's freedom, there's flesh or there's promise. And then he moves on. Now this may be interpreted, I have not said this word right once this week. And every time it comes out differently. So Sarah, allegorically. Thank you. Allegorically. That just sounds... Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Yes. Now, this may be interpreted symbolically. I can say that. Uh, These women are two covenants, two ways to live. Hagar, Sarah, taking matters into your own hands, children of promise, uh, slavery free. That's what Paul is saying. There's two ways to live. So remember, he started off by saying, are you under the law or are you listening to the law? Under the law, slavery, Hagar, and, and then listening to the law, Jesus, Isaac, promise. He's setting up two ways in which we can live. So then he carries on. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, you read that, and you'll go, seems a bit complicated. What's the big deal? When he wrote that to the Jews in his church, they would have gone insane. This is perhaps the most insulting thing you could say to a Christian who was once a Jew or a Christian who still wants to keep Jewish practices. Because here's what Paul is saying. You are not descended from Sarah and Isaac and children of promise. You are descended from Hagar, slavery. You are not under the promise of God. You are not special. You are actually, you are one of her children. You are under slavery. This present Jerusalem. Jerusalem represented everything about the kingdom of God in their mind. And he's saying, look, you're not from the real Jerusalem. You're from the present Jerusalem under slavery from Hagar. You are not living the way God created you to live. That would have been insane for them to hear. Then he says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So he's saying, look, your tradition is not what brings you life. What you do is not what brings you life. What you don't do is not what brings you life. Whether you are circumcised or not circumcised, whether you eat this or not eat that, that is not what brings you freedom. What brings you freedom is from above, Jesus Christ. And you can try and add these things to Jesus and you are not going to improve upon that which is above. That's what he's saying here. Two ways to live. Are you going to be slaves of Hagar or are you going to be free and children of promise? So why is this a big deal? By the way, in the last, I don't know how many minutes, 10 minutes, we've done a lot of work. So well done for staying with me. I'm assuming you've understood. Some of your faces perhaps not. I'm not going to drill in on those faces. But there's this now what kicks in is the two words that I use most weeks. So what? Children of promise. Children of Hagar, slavery under the law, freedom, promise, two ways to live, great. What's that got to do with me? 
What's that got to do with me? How does this help me in an environment that is fueled by the media to be constantly fear-mongering? How does this help me when I look at a government or a political uh, uh, setup that seems to be worrying? How does this help me when my kids have to go to school and are surrounded with things that I never had to go through and deal with? How does this help me? How does Hagar and Sarah have any difference in my life at all? In other words, the two words I say every week when I'm prepping, so what? So what? Well, Paul tells us in this next verse. For it is written, and then he quotes Isaiah. This is very important. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Right? Obvious. Okay, let's pray. You've got your application right there. And uh, what's he saying? What he's referring to is a time in Israel's history where they were banished. They were barren. Everything had been taken away. It was absolutely filled with terror and fear. Arguably the worst part of Israel's history. This barrenness. Oh, barren one is what he's referring to. But he's saying rejoice. Rejoice in that moment. Rejoice in the time when it's filled with terror. Rejoice when you are surrounded by fear, when there seems to be no way out in their own ability. Rejoice. Because remember what I said, Sarah went about trying to take God's promise and pulling it towards her in her own ability. In this period, what Paul is saying is you had nothing to offer. You could do nothing. You could eat what you want, not eat, do Don't do, look, don't look. You could be trying to work hard. You could do this, you could do that. It is not going to add anything to you. Every ability had been taken off them. And yet he said, rejoice. Why? Because God's promise came through. God's miracle came through. You see, where we can't, God can and does. And oftentimes, and this is why I said to Janet uh, before we, uh, we came in this morning, I said, this sermon... I mean, I prepped this sermon, I knew we were going to do this sermon months ago. But, but you see, Terry and Janet are living this out. When you get to the point, when, and, and uh, Timothy Keller says this, when you get to the point when Jesus is the only thing you have, you realize that he is the only thing you need. I kind of butchered that quote, but you get me. When you get to the place when you've got nothing else, God has this ability to step in and take over and bring that miracle child. And bring that miracle In the middle of desolation and barrenness and horror and fear, he's saying, place your eyes upon the possibility that you're serving a God who can, even when you can't. You see, God's promise brought life and freedom. That's what he's talking about. He says, you are going to bring forth children. You are going to be blessed. You are going to be a blessing. Where you can't, God can. And that list that I started with is the reality of just a small part of our culture. We're living in an incredible period of fear-mongering because the media grabs hold of things, blows them out of all kinds of proportion, and then what happens is we respond and they get more money through advertising. It's pretty simple. And this fear-mongering happens, but then it happens on a kind of a micro level too. You know, you answer the phone, and, it, and at the times this has happened to me, is it uh, that I'm, I'm going to be ending up in jail because I, I haven't paid my taxes to the IRS. IRS? 
Like you're listening to this, are you mad? It's like I'm in Canada. You're not even got your country right. But people respond to that because they're filled with fear. You know, we've got a problem with your computer. You need to sit down in front of your computer and put these instructions in. And then they access your computer and you get money for it. They're breeding in people's fear and we're terrified. We're terrified. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why we're terrified. Here's the reason why we try and add things to Jesus. Here's the reason why we try and take control. Is that the Western achievement... Our ability in the West to have succeeded like we have has given us this overinflated, ever-increasing sense that we are in control. We have this overinflated idea that somehow we get to control our destiny. That we get to control our circumstances. In other words, what we do is we put our confidence in the flesh. I can get through this. I can do this. We can do this. And so when something hits, we immediately go into this kind of mode of, as long as I do stuff, I'm going to avoid whatever that fear might be. Or as long as I don't do stuff, I'm going to avoid that fear. And then what we do is we put that into our kids' minds. We feed the idea that they can do and be anything they want. That they are incredible, that they have amazing power, they have this ability to do whatever they want. And then what happens is, is when that is actually proved not to be true, their world falls apart. And fear floods in, shame and guilt because they're not doing as well as other people around them. We place our attention on the flesh. We put our confidence in ourselves. When things are presented to us, we immediately get scared because we know that we're not up to the task. That's one way to live. That's one way to live. And we're running around in our world trying to figure out everything, trying to control everything because we've been duped into thinking we can. And it's, and it's actually, you can put it on a very personal level. Anxiety floods in when we think we're in control. Because when life reminds us we're not, then everything implodes in on us. Whereas those that place their confidence on the Jerusalem above, those that place their confidence on the one called Jesus, those that place their confidence on something more beautiful and ultimate and more powerful than my personal ability, it is those people that when the world implodes and when control seems to be taken away, that yes, it's painful in that moment, it's desperate in that moment, but then we can turn our attention and place and fix our gaze on one who is more than able, who can when we can't. And parents and grandparents, if we feed that thinking and that heart into our kids. You can't, but he can. You may not be able to do that, but he is able to do all things. And have, let them enjoy their dreams and goals and everything else. That's wonderful. But don't let them think that it all comes down to their choices, because it doesn't. That's a lie. And it's a lie that we continually reinforce. Go after your dreams. Go after your beliefs. Go after the things that you're passionate about. Do everything you possibly Grab hold of life by the throat and shake everything you can out of it. But know this. God is in control. God is in control. And it's actually a good thing to tell your kids that they're not in control. It's a good thing for us to know that we 
and not in control. It's a good thing to know that God has a plan because it takes off all pressure. So I look at the Crandalls. I've asked them a couple of questions up here. I'm guessing if I spent more time, there are so many things that they don't know that they don't know. That actually, you'd probably just want to sit here and stay at home and go, you know what, there's too much of the unknown, I'm not going to go. Whereas I'm confident that they're going with the knowledge that they serve a God who does know, who can, who is the God of miracles, who is the God of promises, and that's enough. And this might be hazy, but he is not. And so if I go with him, then I can go in promise, in confidence, into a world that could be terrifying if I place my confidence in my own flesh, in my own abilities, in my own degrees, in my own looks, in my own fitness, in my own money, in my own RSSP, in my own, my own, my own. Because all we try and do is control all that. And then life reminds us, actually, you got nothing, pal. One phone call. Right, Janet? One phone call changes the trajectory of a life forever. One phone call. And so how much better is it to place your confidence on the one who does have a plan, who does have things in control? That is way, way better. Way better. Where you can't, God can. Listen to some of these promises. This is incredible. Deuteronomy 31.8. This is the God, Christian friends, that we serve. He will never Leave you, nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. It does not say, my family is my rock. My children are my rock. My RSP is my rock. My bank account is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My health is my rock, my fortress, and my, my deliverer. Because there will be times when we're reminded it is not. But to place our attention on the one who is sets you up in life to be able to actually face that which gets thrown at you every day. That's a better way to live, isn't it? Isn't it? Rather than cowering in the corner trying to desperately control circumstances so that we don't live in fear. You can kick the door down in on life and go, I'm going to go because I go in one who is more powerful and stronger than me. So how do you get to that place? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. See the flesh and the Spirit again. Okay, you got promise. And so he was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. He's saying, look, stay on the promise. Because there's this beautiful reality tied up in this verse. And I need, and I'm praying, and I'm pleading for you to hang on to this this week. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. This is not Christian friend. This is not a thing of the future. You are. What he's saying is, this is your identity. This is who you are. You see, God doesn't, or Paul doesn't, on behalf of God, give us a list of things to do. You want to know how to live confidently in a world that is telling you to be fearful? You want, to live in a, you want to live in freedom in a world that's telling you try and control everything just in case? Then don't do this list of things. Remind yourself who you are. 
What's your identity? Feed it into your kids who they are. As believers in Christ, this is who you are. Your last name might be Madden, but you're actually a child of promise. That's an incredible thing to say to your kids. Way better than you can do whatever you set your mind to. Isn't it better to say you're a child of God? You're a child of promise. You're somebody who when God looks at you as a Christian, he sees a new identity in Jesus. Because here's the thing with identity that is far more powerful than a list of things to do or don't do. Because as parents, and I know I'm talking to lots of parents, but as parents we tend to give our kids, even in a macro, big scale, a list of things to do and not do. Don't be this person, be this way. Don't do that, don't go there, do this, do that. And then look, the whole world will be yours. Far better, like God, to tell them who they are. Who are they? Not a list of things to do, because it might be that they don't do those things. But to present, like God presents to us, who we are, shapes how we behave. Shapes how we behave. So that stuff comes because they have an image of who they actually are. And so our behavior changes as we have a present reality of who we are. God tells us who we are. We're children of promise. I told this story before, but, um, and I wish my mum and dad were here this morning to, to hear it, because I know it would bring a chuckle to his, to his, uh, to his life. But I remember distinctly as a, a, like an eight or nine-year-old young boy going to, with my dad to the police station where he was, probably at the time, he might have been like a chief inspector or something like that. It was, he was still getting promoted. And, and, uh, and basically, when I remember distinctly as a young man at eight or nine that when my dad went into rooms in the police station, then all the men at that time, I'm sure it doesn't happen now, immediately jumped up and stood to attention like that. And my dad uh, would, would walk into a room and they'd all immediately stand up and say, good morning, sir, or good afternoon, sir, or good evening, sir, or whatever. That was just the way it was, I guess, probably 40 years ago. I remember visiting the police station with my dad and witnessing that happened. Just imagine, little guy behind big guy, full uniform, full hat, you know, ramrod straight, walks into the room behind my dad, they're standing to attention to me, my friend, not my dad. I'm like, oh, yes. I'm loving this. Like, the swagger comes on. You know, I'm confident. I'm powerful. I'm strong. I'm like, yeah, because my dad's in the house. Look at him. Yeah, you better stand up, pal, because that's what I was thinking. It might as well have been me. It's exactly the same when it comes to Jesus and God in your life. You are literally, it says, overshadowed by the presence of God. You are filled by Jesus, hidden by Jesus, saved by Jesus, loved by Jesus. Passion is poured upon you. You are a changed child of promise. And that is the shadow in which you walk into life with. Oh yeah, Jesus is in the house. The swagger, non-prideful, can come. The confidence can come, even through tears. Because I don't know, but he does. I don't know how this is going to work out, but he does. And did you hear what Janet says? If God decides to take her, 
I still win. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You are unstoppable if you have that image in your mind. You are unstoppable if that is the shadow in which you walk. What can the world do to you? Nothing. That's freedom. Control, circumstances, must not, must do. No, no. Freedom. Freedom. To focus on that and who you are brings freedom. To see your future that way, to see your now that way, that God calls you a child of promise, that your future is secured. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So here's what Paul is telling us. You've got to fight for this. There's action involved in this. You've got to cast out that thinking. You've got to cast out that thinking that tells you you're in control, you've got to do, you've got to add, you've got to control your circumstances. You've got to fight that. Cast it out. There are scriptures in the New Testament that says, cast your anxieties and cares upon him. Get rid of it. That scripture literally means you take hold of it and you throw it. Cast your cares upon him. What do we do? We kind of go, oh, no, I think I got it. I got it covered. Or it's not important for God. For God. Or, you know what, I think, I, I think yeah, I can control this. No, on a daily, hourly, maybe minute-by-minute minute basis, you've got to get hold of this thing, and you've got to lob it and not chase after it. You've got to leave it with him. You've got to fight for this thinking. And this is a very practical thing. When you hear the lies that try and remind you of the sins that you have done, Christian friend, then you can immediately cast that upon him and remind him of who you are in Christ. You're a child of promise. You have swagger in a non-prideful way. You can fight it. You can fight it. And that's where there is some doing to do, where you've actually got to, you've got to fill your mind and thinking with this. You've got to fight for it. Don't ever surrender this truth for a trivial identity that tells that you are enough. You are not enough. He is enough. He's powerful. He's strong. And then finally, verse 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He's saying, Christian friends, you are not children of slavery. You're free. So I guess this brings us to a big question at the end. Which city are you in? Which camp are you in? Are you in the city of Jerusalem that is based on slavery and Hagar and circumstances and control? That you think by what you do and don't do, somehow it's going to save you? Or are you in the city of freedom that actually you've recognized that you are not enough, that you can't do, but you are in relationship with somebody who can Are you grabbing hold of life and trying to control circumstances? Or are you living life with an open hand going, I don't know what the future looks like, but he does. Which city are you in? Because that's what Paul presents to us. He says, present Jerusalem, Jerusalem of the above. Where are you? Because I can promise you by experience and by observation as a pastor, and and I've certainly lived this, as somebody who has a temperament that is very type A and go and task oriented I have to fight the thinking that I can do it all so I live this to constantly live with an open hand it's hard work but the peace and the joy and the freedom of living with that mindset that paradigm 
I wouldn't give that up. I have to fight for it because I know that there's life in it. So which city are you in? Are you settled into Jesus as being your hope? Because if you have, and I'm not talking to everybody in the room now possibly, but if you've settled into Jesus as being the one from above, the one that you anchor into, then you're in. You're free. Enjoy it. Live like a citizen. Live like a child of promise. Live like your dad is walking into a room and you're just behind him. Live that way. Think that way. Fight for it. Every morning, crack open your Bible and learn and pray over and enjoy. Surround yourself with other like-minded people. Enjoy that life because that is where you belong. You're a citizen of the king. And if you are not settled... If you're not settled in Jesus, if you're not settled in the one that we call king, if you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you are still trying to grapple and hold on to circumstances and try this and go there, maybe if I go to this city, maybe if I'll marry this person, maybe if I don't marry this person, maybe if this, maybe if that, if you are desperately trying to control through fear, then the beautiful thing is that there's a promise in Scripture that says if you come, you recognize that actually you have nothing to offer and you ask for forgiveness from Him who willingly died for you on the cross. For all who believe, all that that represents as we move towards Easter, that my opinions, my sin, my shame, my punishment placed upon that cross And he took it for me. It dies with him. And then I have this imputed righteousness that makes me a child of God. That gift can be for you as well. But there's lies that surround us. There's media that reminds us. There's thoughts that plague us that say, no, you you can do it. There are many in this room who are wonderful, experienced smart, mature people who would echo me when I say, you can't. But we know a a guy who can. And his name is Jesus. You could leave here differently and point back to a life that you used to be. You could point back to things that you used to rely on, things that you used to do, the anxiety and fear that you used to have because the freedom that Christ brings can be yours this morning for all those who receive it. So do you want to be a child of promise or a slave? Because Paul really just says, those are your two ways to live. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that some of what I have shared this morning from this deep passage has kind of lands in your spirit, maybe even keeps you awake at night, wrestling with it. I live in fear and constant control of circumstances, terrified to switch the TV on. I don't even want to go out of my comfort because what may happen, you can let that go as you grab hold of him who loves you, who knows you, who's passionate for you, who cares about you. Let's respond to that now. Let's close our eyes. God is drawing you to himself this morning. How are you going to respond? Praise your name, Jesus. Lord, I pray now that you would take these 
words. And Lord, that you would do only that which you can do, which is to change, to save, to draw men, women, children to yourself. I thank you, God, that you are in control. I thank you, God, that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You know the beginning to the end. That, Lord, you says the pages of my life are already written. That, Lord, I pray that for my Christian brothers and sisters in the room, that there would be great comfort in that. And, Lord, we never want to dismiss the present-day pain and struggle. We acknowledge that, and we're thankful, Lord, that you, you cry with us on that. But Lord, I thank you for the promise that you constantly whisper to us, you're a child of the King. Lord, I pray we would press into that. We'd pray into it. That Lord, we'd read about it. We'd sing about it. That Lord, we would consume our thinking with the reality of who we are as children of promise. Lord, I pray for those in the room that are still outside of knowing you, that you have yet to radically change their lives. Oh God, I pray you would speak to them now.